This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2013 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Now streaming only on Hulu. Truest representation I have ever felt of Love is Blind was when Tiffany was snuggled up on that blanket and Brett was talking and she just fell asleep. When he was professing his love to her. When he was professing his love to her. She was snug. She was with her man. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, I'm out. It took two girls shaking her to wake her up. That was... (laughs) That's that's a vibe. And they still ended up together. (laughs) Hey, hey, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. And today, we're tightroping the thin line between love and hate. Later in the show, I'll be talking with actor Stephen Yun about his new show, Beef, and how he and his co-star Ali Wong performed a mutual hate so strong, it almost resembled love. But first, we have to talk about the reality dating show we all hate to admit we're watching, Netflix's Love is Blind. I'm really looking for somebody who will accept all of me. True, pure love. I feel like I've never felt so in love. I came here looking for a wife, and there are two women that I could have seen myself with, and I chose the one that I felt in my gut. To talk about it, I've got B.A. Parker from NPR's Code Switch. (laughs) Parker! Brittany! Parker, 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 welcome to It's Been a Minute. It has been a minute. I mean, I guess kind of. I I feel like I I usually text you most days of the week. (laughs) That's true. Do not ask Parker in person if she watches Love is Blind. She'll probably deny it. I watch it habitually, but that's just like, it's more Pavlovian than like a love. (laughs) I think that's fair. But she has seen every episode. She has opinions and she knows exactly how the show works. So it's like... 15 men and 15 women are put into a warehouse. (laughs) And then (laughs) they're in these pods where they have conversations with each other, but they never see each other. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to fall in love with people's personalities and thoughts and sounds and not their physical appearance. And then at the end of it, you're supposed to get engaged. Mm -hmm. Then at the end of it, they see each other. And then they have a whole, like, two weeks? Was it a month? They have four weeks where they, like, vacation together. They live together. They meet each other's friends and family. And then at the end of that four weeks, they go to the wedding. With the hopes, fingers crossed, (laughs) that both people say I do. Here's my thing, though, Mm -hmm. about Love is Blind, is that it is very clear none of these couples should get married. Like, getting married (laughs) in a month is bonkers. Now, part of the appeal of Love is Blind is that, sure, there are the couples that you like, that you're rooting for, but more so it's the drama with the couples that don't work that makes the best television. And this season's best drama comes from one couple, Zach and Irina. (laughs) Who is this? Zach. Everyone just had such strong opinions about you. And so with you and your crazy stories. Here's the thing. 
Arena is so off-putting that as you're watching, you really start to wonder if she just came on the show to be a villain, get Instagram followers, and become an influencer. Well, we've got some really bad news about the influencer economy in a minute, but to understand that, you've got to understand why Arena and Zach are a train wreck to watch. I told you he looks like Property Brothers John Mulaney. <laughs> Zach. He does not display good judgment at any point. In at any point. any point. Uh, I'm a stripper. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. Oh, wow. But still, I would say he pales in comparison to the antics and behavior of one Miss Irina. I think the hard part will come with multiple girls dating the same guy. I'll come for your neck. <laughs> Just Just kidding, I can't say that sounds so bad. She is the opposite of America's sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever the opposite is, that's Irina. She is not a nice lady. There is one specific moment where like her sort of meanness, Zach, who you mentioned, his confusion and awkwardness just really collided. And it was the frankly iconic moment when Irina meets Zach, who ends up becoming her fiance. She has no idea what I look like. I don't think it's going to matter. Hi. Hey. And literally, one of the very first things that she says to him is, I don't know why you look like a fictional character. You look like something out of like a cartoon. I know. You look like something out of a cartoon. (laughs) She said I looked like a cartoon character. Um which I don't know if that was a compliment or not. I think it was intended to be. Parker, I mean, that's not something you say to someone as a compliment. Never. (laughs) No. Her entire being was just like audacity. Right. Like that scene where there's like this woman who's curled up in a ball, crying. Devastated. Because she's just been like essentially dumped, you know, by some guy that she met in the pods. She's absolutely devastated. She's crying and laughing. In Arena and Micah, you know, her, I don't want to say henchwoman, but they're like little two mean peas in a little mean pod. They're openly laughing at this girl. No, but don't be obvious. Don't let them see you. (laughs) I've never seen anybody openly laugh at somebody who is crying in real life. But also, I never understand, like, that kind of mean girl behavior when you've won. Essentially, you've won. Yeah, like the man know. has chosen you. I know. What is the point of laughing at a poor woman's pain? And like the, even though Arena didn't like her own fiance, she had no problem going for Micah's fiance. She just starts hitting on him. Just there was like some little, there was like some moment where she was passing by him in a pool when they were all in Mexico, and she like rubbed his feet, and I was like, "Girl, you cannot be rubbing that? feet on Netflix." That is for free for free. And also that is too forward. Can you, I just, I don't even know what I would do if one of my friends just came up and started rubbing on my husband's feet. And we would have to have a smackdown. Like that's so strange. <laughs> that is just so, 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 so strange. Burning bridges left and right. Burning every bridge left and right. Arena is a watchable bad girl, but she might be too late. Coming up, we make the case for the end of the villain era and why it no longer pays to be bad. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. And NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. I mean, okay, so like we've established that Arena is the villain, right? Yeah. Um, like the like unequivocal villain of season four of Love Is Blind. Yeah. But I mean, if you consider the social media bump that you can sometimes get, being the villain isn't necessarily all bad. I, I mean, for years, like being the most talked about person, which I think without a doubt she is this season, meant that you could be enormously successful off screen. Of course, I'm referring to the reality TV to social media influencer pipeline. You get on TV, you get a ton of followers, and boom, you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars in sponsored content. But a recent article by Mariah Espada from Time Magazine, there's a little number tracking in it. Mm -hmm. Mariah finds out, or at least she notices, that, that slowly but surely that reality TV to social media influencer pipeline is drying up. Good. <laughs> what is the point? The writer, Mariah, mostly focused on The Bachelor, but... Um, Who's following people from The Bachelor? That's a different... Oh, a lot of people. You know, Bachelor Nation is legion. There's too many. They don't care. Think about people who follow sports. They add new people to sports every year. They follow them on Instagram. Fine. So, yeah, so we pulled some numbers mm -hmm. from different seasons of Love is Blind to compare to you sort of how this pipeline has dwindled over time. Okay. So the darlings of season one of Love is Blind were unquestionably Lauren and Cam. Yes, Lauren and Cam. Lauren Speed and Cameron Hamilton. They are still married at the time of this conversation. And right now, Lauren and Cameron have a combined 4.5 million followers. The darlings of season four... Tiffany and Brett have a combined 143,000 followers. And I'll be honest, like, you know, Lauren and Cameron have had four years, but 143,000 and 4.5 million feel like completely different universes to me. To compare, the villain of season one, Jessica, has 631,000 followers compared to season four's villain, Arena, as we mentioned. She has 31,000 followers. That's fine. <laughs> Find a better bag than being awful. I think the obvious assumption here is that viewership has gone down, which for reality TV shows like The Bachelor, actually, that is true. Mm -hmm. But the follower count is declining faster than the viewership. 
Mariah Espada suggests that it's partially because we as consumers are pickier about who we choose to follow. And she thinks it's a backlash to the assumption that many of the contestants on these shows are simply there to get a following. Yeah. And, you know, we as viewers don't like that. We're there to watch people fall in love, not to be like gain a follower account and gain fame. That's not what this experiment is about. In thinking about Irina, and, and I can't even necessarily say, I can't, I can't make for certain the claim that she went on this show to get a following. But, you know, many people do. I think that it might even be, even if that's not the only reason why you would go on Love is Blind, I think it could be, it could seem like a plus. Mm-hmm. But Parker, you know, as someone who watches reality TV, do you think it still pays to be a villain on screen anymore? I don't know. I mean, personally, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I think times are hard. I think we need, I'm, I'm in favor of earnestness. Hmm. There was like purity in, even for the early 2000s when you were watching reality TV and there wasn't an understanding of how reality TV worked. No one fully knew like what the quote unquote game was. Mm. I want to see regular folks in clothes from Ross Dress for Less who are out here just trying <laughs> to find love and not like try to up their beat their social media account, which doesn't mean anything because it is not going to like help your brand anyway. <laughs> I, I I agree with that, but I also kind of think that if that influencer pipeline dries up, those shows will also just be populated with a bunch of people who just want attention <laughs> just for like the sake of having attention, which to me, I'm not against. Rush fair. I'm not against that. We could have a reality show. We could. Yep. Real Housewives of NPR. Ooh. Real Housewives of Radio. We are producers. We know how to like cause drama. <laughs> We'll talk, we'll talk to licensing. We'll see how we can get this Real Housewives of Radio spun off. <laughs> Parker, thank you so much for talking about the show. We both love to hate. Love is blind. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye, Brittany. Coming up, actor Stephen Yun sits down with me to talk about how he and his new co-star, Ali Wong, made hate almost look like love in their new show. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. My greatest hope for the Voices of Black Women study is that it will help us understand and identify culturally tailored ways to change and really eliminate the unacceptable disparities for future generations of Black women as it relates to cancer. To learn more, go to voices.cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. For the next half minute, 
REI wants to remind you that you can't make more time, but you can make the most of it by calling timeout. Timeout on the algorithms, comfort zones, and life on autopilot. REI believes that getting outside is the best way to get out of our routines and instead find new routes. When you're ready, they have the gear, clothing, classes, and advice to get you started. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com forward slash opt outside. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever had a gripe you just cannot let go of? A grudge you hold near and dear to your heart? A mutual discord between yourself and another person? If you have, you might see a bit of yourself in the characters on Netflix's new series, Beef. You started this. Me? Yeah. Okay, you're the one who backed into me like a psycho. You're the one that flipped me off. What starts off as a little case of road rage spirals into a full-on cyclone of revenge. This isn't just any ordinary beef. The two main characters, played by Steven Yeun and Ali Wong, are trying to ruin each other's lives. So stop messing with me and leave me alone or else. You hear me? This is your last warning. You do not want to unleash the beast. Today, we're talking to Steven Yeun about how his chemistry with Ali Wong is like a rom-com that swaps love for outright hostility. Plus, he tells me why this role made him break out in hives. All that and an extra large side of beef coming right up. Steven, welcome to It's Been a Minute. We're so happy to have you today. Thank you for having me. Just to get a sense of how people should be thinking about your new Netflix series, Beef. Mm. What historical or celebrity beef best describes the beef in Beef? (laughs) You know, all the best beefs are when people are equally measured, right? Mm. Tupac and Biggie don't beef unless they're like Tupac and Biggie. We tried to capture that best beef. I think Danny and Amy are equally matched rivals. They respect each other. There's a connection underneath the beef connection, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up the idea that they're like equally yoked in a way and that there is some sort of connection beneath the beef because (laughs) I, first of all, I loved the series. Like me and my husband ran through it. And it's like definitely like a thriller dramedy, but I feel like that doesn't even fully capture everything. To me, Beef also kind of functions similarly to a rom-com. Like the characters Mm. have constant tension and the show is always finding ways to bring them together, to make them collide. I found that it gave me actually the same satisfaction in a way as watching a romantic comedy, but with pure hatred instead of (laughs) (laughs) romantic love. That's amazing. (laughs) But so much of what makes the relationship between Amy Lau, played by Ali Wong, and your character, Danny Cho, is is this mutual recognition that they share. Like you said, neither is afraid to go toe-to-toe, kind of Mm. to the death, um, Mm. (laughs) with the other person. And and you two really sell that tension. Thanks. When you came together to work on this show, what was that game-recognized game moment? 
where you realized that you were perfectly matched for this project? You know, I remember when her special came out, Baby Cobra, I was like, who is this? That was really refreshing for me. And I remember reaching out to her and um, hitting her up on Twitter and being like, you're so great. Just like sending her a DM? Yeah. I, was, was, I actually never do that, but I had to respect it. I was like, yo, Ali Wong, you are amazing. We got to meet each other here and there, but we never really connected. And I think coming onto this show, I couldn't fully see what was happening or what was possible until we started reading together. Hmm. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Allie also has just this really warm personality and just warm presence that is really inviting, that is really nurturing and caring. And when you can feel safe and connected to each other, off camera, you can really lay into each other on camera. Mm, I, I think that that yin yang that you're describing is augmented by the way that this show also explores the sharp class divisions between the characters and how it affects their relationships and ambitions. On the show, Amy is rich. She didn't come for money, but she's living good. And Danny has been struggling financially all his life. Danny and Amy live in completely different neighborhoods and yeah. they have totally different opportunities available to them. Mm-hmm. The class tension on beef is palpable. It drives a lot of the story and like naked explorations of intraracial classism don't often show up a lot on TV, but it's a main feature yeah. of this show. Like how, how do you see that as enriching the show? I think for us, like the framework of what we wanted to build beef around was just like, how do we get to the human quicker? We just kind of like flattened that whole landscape by being like, it's all Asian people. So now we can just get to who these people are Mm. and anyone can access them. Then it's an open door and an invitation for anyone to sit at the table respectfully and eat from our table too and, and connect with us as human beings. We weren't like trying to like plant a flag. It was more like, I want to be a rendered human. I want Danny to just be like easily accessible to everybody. Um, let's just go there. And that's what we try to do. You know, what you're describing, like the everybody's Asian, so we could just get into the story. It, it reminds me, I went to Howard University, HBCU in DC. Mm. And you're from a very similar, you, we're from basically the same area. So you know what yeah. it's like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first time that I actually started to like build an identity as a Midwesterner, as someone from Michigan, because- I mean, part of that is because you leave home and, you know, you're identified by where you come from. But also nobody else was identifying me as one of the only Black people that was in the space. Right. And so then it just became like, people were like, why do you talk like that? (laughs) What accent is this? (laughs) Then you're like, oh, damn, I'm all Michigan. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, it's like you can unearth other facets of, of your personality as a human being, but also as a character once you kind of level things out in that way. Totally. Another scene that I want to talk about where your character, Danny, is trying to encourage his brother to pursue a relationship with an Asian woman. I can't get too far into it, but his brother has been (laughs) texting heavy with this white girl that he met like online through the apps, basically. Dude, it's okay to mess around with white girls right now, but like, when you got to settle down, you got to listen to mom and dad bring home a nice Korean girl. You know what I'm saying? And he makes this joke that I I won't repeat. It's not for me to repeat, but it basically hinges on the idea that marrying a white person is not the goal or the ideal. And I think for a lot of people of color, uh, I didn't grow up with this message, but I know people who did that like, that is the goal to go and marry a white mm, person. Mm. I thought it was 
hilarious inversion. Like me and my husband lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Why was it important to include moments like that in Beep? Well, I think it reveals a lot of things, right? And Danny, it reveals this kind of preservation of his own self, preservation of what he deems as like authentic to him, Mm -hmm. which when you look deeper on the surface, he's still missing out on the human experience because he's still caught in this like kind of racial matrix still like is he saying you must be with another korean person because he really believes it or is he saying that as kind of a defense Mm. how does he view himself is he stuck i think there's so many layers to how you can kind of have that reflect off of you depending on who you are Mm -hmm. also like you know to your point what you just mentioned there's like a tension between danny and his brother where his brother has different kind of curiosity about the world And it's almost like, is there a fear that like, if my brother goes and has this different experience for me, that we're not going to be the same anymore? Does this make him different? Could it make him better than me in some ways? I don't know. But that's also, I felt like that was coming off of that moment. Totally. One of the biggest themes that we were interested in is just loneliness. You know, I grew up latchkey immigrant kid. I immigrated with my brother as well. And it's just like, you know, that kind of upbringing for me was terrifying Hmm. of just like being conscious of your isolation where you're like oh this matrix here in america is completely different than the one that i formed for four years in korea but (laughs) you know when you look at someone like danny he is struggling to be alone he is desperately wanting everyone to meet him where he is or to see the world from how he sees it or his brother to stay where he's at yeah Hmm. that's danny He's stuck. Danny's stuck and, and Danny's also angry. Um, and you've played mm. like angry guys before, guys who are dealing, wrestling mm. with anger. But Danny stand, stands out to me for his <laughs> rage. Um, yeah. What was it like to explore the depths of anger and greed and deceit that, that are within Danny? Because I, I could see it going <laughs> either way. I could see it being cathartic, right? For sure. Don't get it twisted. I was rooting for Danny. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, rooting thank for him, you. right? Yeah, hell yeah. He was hell my yeah. guy. I was rooting for him. <laughs> I experienced like some amount of catharsis and just seeing somebody who felt like they never got a break, right? Decided they're like, I'm going to break my own break. Like, I'm just going to like go completely mm. ham. But I could see that going either mm. way, though, playing him. Like, I could see it feeling cathartic, but I could also see it as something that could burn you. Like, what, what was it like? It was, you know, it, playing Danny was at times asking me to revisit a part of myself that when I was younger, I didn't have a full handle over. With Danny, it wasn't that it was cathartic per se. I got tired mm-hmm. being that angry for so long. I got like, mm. <laughs> I was like, at some points I was like, oh, all right, I got to do this today. Every day, you know, I'd show up on set and I'd just be like, Danny's doing what today? Like, he's going to lie how? Damn it. And I'm just like, how do I justify this? How do I not hate Danny? How do I love Danny? How do I never bail on Danny? Because Danny is a side of all of us. And how do I never bail so that the audience will never bail? And Danny's crisis is going through there. Hmm. Ali Wong stated in an interview that you both broke out in hives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hives. You broke out in literal hives after filming. Like, What was so intense about filming that made it have that physical manifestation for you? You know what was interesting was we realized that she broke out in hives on her face and I broke Mm -hmm. out in hives on my body. And I was like, whoa, that's actually kind of incredible. That Mm -hmm. might be like the perfect analogy for 
how Danny exists and how Amy exists, which is like Danny only knows how to give of his body to get around. Like he has to fix something or climb something or like break something or like be used for his body. And the anger emanates from that place. And for Amy's character, she's just navigating a whole cerebral reality of just like Machiavellian, you know, she's just trying to make it in like this like higher upper echelon corporate Mm -hmm. world. And it's a different ask. They have different strengths. You know, the hives, it was a release of tension for us as actors, but you know, looking back at it, it's kind of cool. It's just like, it is that yin yang. (laughs) (laughs) She completes the head and I complete the body. And it's like, it's pretty funny. (laughs) Watching Minari and and Nope and now this role in Beef. And I rewatched Minari after finishing Beef. So it was very interesting to see Jacob from Minari, who's like this first generation immigrant who's brought his family to rural Arkansas, trying to start a Korean vegetable farm so that he can get out of working essentially in a big chicken coop, right? Mm. For the rest of his life. It was so interesting to see Jacob juxtaposed next to Danny. It, they felt like the two roles were kind of in, in conversation, but also like you throw Jupe in there from from Nope. He's like a former child star who's kind of haunted by this really brutal attack, like of which he was like the only survivor, mm. right? I kind of see, like, in three of these recent on-screen characters for you, this, like, I don't know, this connection. Like, they're all men who are haunted or taunted, in a way, by the promise Mm. of success. And they're all coming at it from different angles, of course, and with different stakes at play. But to some degree, they're each willing to forsake something significant Mm. in order Mm. to finally get the success or achieve the thing that they believe is going to save them and fix Mm. everything. Does that feel true? And, and and is that something that you relate to? Oh, for sure. I wish I had concocted that triple feature to, <laughs> to explore it explicitly that way. But it feels like we're all trying to get away from ourselves. Hmm. We're so lost in comparison, looking at Instagram and being like, I should have that or I wish I had this. I had to get off of Instagram because I was like unfollow everybody because I was like, if they're on my feed, it will just give me these mirrors back to me Mm. of me feeling inadequate about my own reality. Hmm. I'm not trying to live that life. I got two kids. Like (laughs) I'm too busy to be like (laughs) caught in a rut like that. You know what I mean? And it was extremely helpful just to be like, okay, cool. Stop looking at other people's plates. It's it's so wild though. Cause like you've been so successful. I imagine that there are people who are going to be listening like in disbelief, right? That you would have those same feelings too. Well, you can eat, 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 and never feel full. I think everybody struggles with that, right? Mm. Um, I hope. Otherwise, I'll feel more alone. And then, um... (laughs) (laughs) In an interview that you did with Vulture, you answered a question about, like, your ethos as a producer. And and you're not just starring in Beef, but you're an executive producer on the project. And you said that you were aiming to make work that could, you know, to quote you, render people free of the too oppressive gaze upon them. And I am curious if you feel, though, that this show is successful in reflecting your intent as a producer. Yeah, I feel that way. I think, you know, nothing's perfect. The thing that I think about with the gays is that, like, in culture, I feel like we've really dissected that gaze. And we've really almost rendered that gaze not completely obsolete but like we're just aware of it Mm -hmm. every single person is aware of it and i think that's really interesting 
the gaze is also like in us too. Right. Like the last boss is yourself. (laughs) (laughs) We bring that to therapy. Yeah. Steven, thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited for people to see Beef because I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I am so excited to see what others have to say. Oh, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you, Brittany. That was Steven Yun, lead actor in Beef, available now on Netflix. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. It was produced and edited by Jessica Mendoza. Our editor is Jessica Placek. Our intern is Jamal Michelle. Engineering support came from Quasi Lee, Ted Mebane. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's our show for today. I'm Brittany Luce. See you next week for another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me. And I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on the Black experience. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.